0: And welcome to this podcast from the Private Wealth Team at Safries. My name is Leonora Stevens, and I'm a partner in the Private Wealth Team based in Bristol. Delighted to be joined today virtually by Mike Hodges, who's the Head of Private Wealth at Safries, and Mike is based in Manchester. Hi, Mike. Hi, Leo. Today, we are covering a topic that may not be the most uplifting of topics, in particular, uh, as this is going to come out around the Christmas time. But it will cover death and tax planning, plus any top tips to consider. So of course, historically, we have covered other planning ideas in previous podcasts, for example, tax on giving assets or cash to your children, setting up trusts and the tax and practical implications of doing so. But in this podcast, we're focusing on a, on a few things that you may want to consider if you want to ensure you're leaving your paperwork in all of your executors, or if you want to consider a few practical points that can be of use or help should the day come of your busing. Death is a topic that people don't often want to talk about. And part of our job is to ensure that people think through the eventualities so that once they have gone, they can ensure that their wealth is passed on in the way that they wish. Of course, some people are of the opinion that what happens when they die won't be their problem, whereas others want to ensure that all eventualities are planned for. And as it's often said, there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. So, Mike, if you had one thing that people should think about when considering death, what would be your top tip?
1: It would have to be, Leo, an up-to-date will. And just by way of background, I speak, I was executive for my father-in-law who passed away last year, beginning of last year, and have just been speaking this morning to my father, who is 95, bless him, and has just redone his will. So it is an up-to-date will that does what you want it to do. And it's amazing how many people don't about wills even though as you've said one of the two certainties is death and it's not just about the kind of things that you and i will talk about it's about peace of mind Mm -hmm. and comfort for the individual i think that that's the key it's not all about tax and wealth and then the other thing i guess for lifetime situations to make sure everything is is catered for and again i'm seeing my father at the weekend to collect his and we'll sign it all up is, is a power of attorney and there are the two powers of attorney for financial and health affairs and you can do them fairly simply online and it's one of those where the government says at the end feedback is it good bad or indifferent it's a really good online system if you're half organized you can get it uh, get it done fairly simply even and you want to know that everything's sorted as i say and you're not leaving your family to, to sort things out without a will so flip the question round, Leo, what would the one thing that you'd uh, you'd, you'd say had to be done?
0: Well, if well, after the will and uh, powers attorney, I would have said sort of an asset list would be the next thing. And it's not only helpful in calculating any potential inheritance tax, but it's also useful for the executives in identifying what assets you hold. Um, but I, I sort of would emphasise that it'd be good to tell your executives where that list is and your will um, in case they don't know where it is. I mean, I, I've had some cases where, you know, in in several situations, the husband would have run the financial affairs for a married couple. Upon death, the wife had no idea sort of what assets they held and, yeah. you know, the value or quantum. And that's quite a daunting prospect um, when you're going through a very difficult time. And that sort of leads me on to the point about the fact that it's really good to get your trusted advisors lined up. You know, it could be your accountant, your lawyer, an old family friend at least someone is in the know and it's also good to introduce the other member of of your relationship who maybe doesn't have so much awareness at an early stage so they have that person that they can phone to talk about the assets and sort of what the what the wishes of the deceased were and that can also you know for example if um you have a very successful business that you've built up for years and then upon death you know it, it all goes to your wife and children which is great, but you know they, the children, the wife might not might not actually want it. But then they they might hold on to that asset because they think, oh, well, my husband wanted me to hold on to the business. They you know he spent years building it up. Well, actually, if people communicate amongst the family in advance and discuss their wishes, it may be that that they can sell off the business without feeling guilty, and then everyone's happy. So I think trust advice and communication is key. But I think we always say communication is key in all our in all of our um, podcasts. Yeah, but that's it because it, it family. is. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in, in addition to sort of an asset list, what else would you consider as being useful to have the details of when it comes to death?
1: Well, just before we move on from that, for, for my father-in-law, bless him, uh, it, it, was a, it was a concertina file and everything was in the concertina file. And it just made things really organised because he he was... I look around my desk right here because I'm at home at the moment and think this is this is a mess. So get a bit organised. Just moving on, and it gets a bit more techy, I guess, that if you're talking about inheritance tax, it's the value of your estate on death, plus gifts made in the seven years up to that point. And a lot of people are aware if they know one thing about inheritance tax, it's it's, it's that. And then it's that combined value that you say, right, the first... Three hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds for everyone is is exempt from inheritance tax but then the question is well how will your executors know what's happened in the seven years so there's a bit of record keeping to be done which again put in your concertina file physical or, or or literal have on a spreadsheet have somewhere it doesn't need more formality than than that I was with some um, some people this morning, and they said, "Well, if we make a gift, do we need to have it formally recorded by a by a lawyer?" Now, for most gifts, the answer to that is no. If it if it's something more formal, then then you, you might have to. But for the vast majority, no, it's just a just a gift. But it's that record keeping. And just to complete, we've talked about three hundred twenty five thousand being the, the the nil rate band, so no inheritance stacks up to that point. You then get into the massively complicated area of the of the residence nil rate band which we'll say very little about because that could be a half hour lecture all of itself other than it's up to one hundred and seventy five thousand pounds if you're leaving your house or you've lived in a house and you've downsized or moved it on in some way down through the through the generations so that's a that's a potential half million pounds per individual so a million pounds in the case of a of a married couple
0: I think there's also something else to consider is that if, if for example, your spouse is sort of terminally ill and sort of nearing the end date, um, you know, people often think, well, "Is there anything I can do now?" Um, and you know, as you just said, you've got the seven-year rule. So if they made gifts of of assets to non-spouse to a non-spouse then those would be caught if they didn't survive for seven years. But something that is useful to think about is where gifts are made out of surplus income, which is, an IHT, which is exempt from inheritance tax. If people are sort of nearing the end, you should, you know, and they've made them historically, it'd be a good opportunity to look at whether they had any surplus income in the last tax year. Yeah, And so therefore you can sort of reduce your chargeable estate um, but again, like you said, documentation is key. So make sure, you know, I've got clients who every year will make a gift out of income to their children, will write them a letter and copy me in so I then have it on file. Mm. Um, so those are the things that sort of that's a sort of a little additional freebie that you can that you can think about before the yeah. um, yeah. death. But have you got any tips, sort of top tips on what to do when someone actually dies with with sort of with reference to notifying the various authorities?
1: Well, the, the practicalities were really interesting because, I, as I say, I was finding out March, April of last year, there is an online government service that is called something like Notify Once. I should have looked this up before we started this um, this <laughs> podcast, but we'll make sure we, we put it on the website somewhere, which means that you don't have to... Do a whole list and write to everyone. It, it's it's all the government and local government authorities, some banks, and those sorts of financial institutions. It's not everyone, so a couple of pension companies weren't automatically notified. But it's it's a good starting point of working down that list. That it, it's it's a, it's a one um size fits all notification that that, that is then split out. And the other point I was going to make was if you're talking about bank accounts, do make sure that you are leaving access to cash to the survivor so that they can physically draw money out of a bank account it's not just signing rights pin codes everything else in one person's head so as a practical sense before you've got grants of probate and all of those formalities you want to have the survivor being able to uh to access cash in a you know day-to-day sense so that's kind of practical tips from from experience have you got any commonly asked questions that you face day in, day out around death and taxes, Leanne?
0: From a sort of more of a, not necessarily one that people would, would ask me at work. It's more of a sort of question around around the table in the pub as sort of, well, that might make, might sound like I've got very boring friends if we talk about death and taxes in the pub. But
1: You're always in the but, pub.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've got two small children, sadly, that's, those are days <laughs> gone by. Um, but something that I think has a bit of confusion is comes around sort of who is liable to tax at what point. Um, so when someone dies, to when you've got the period of administration till then the assets are transferred out. So what will happen is when a person dies, they, they will be taxed upon that income up and gains up until the date of death. Then there's a period of administration whereby you have the executors and they are then they have to complete a tax return and. Uh, declaring income and gains, and then at the point the assets get, get distributed out, then ordinarily it then falls upon the beneficiaries. I would add there are various quirks about sort of specific legacies or residuary beneficiaries, which means these these can slightly change slightly. But definitely seek advice if you're going through this to work out where the obligation lies and who who needs to pay the tax. Um, there are a couple of other sort of practical things. You know, If someone's got foreign assets in their in their estate, um, have they got a foreign will? And assets will, will be distributed in a different way depending on the country. For example, France um, is different to the UK, so you need to bear that in mind. And when it sort of comes to probate and IHT in the timeline, you need to do your IHT return uh, if it's required and then pay an inheritance tax before they will grant probate. You can't distribute anything out until probate is granted. Mm. So there's a lot of sort of um getting your ducks in a row, really, and making sure everything's lined up. Yeah. And then sort of Mike, finally, have you had any estates that have run on for a few years? And what what tends to be the reasons to why they're sort of going on for a long period of time?
1: Yeah, I've got one that is coming up to its the 10th anniversary of death. That's obviously the exception rather than the rule, but the main reasons for that are complexity some international issues some trust issues and some investments that are still proving quite hard to unravel because they are investments in in private equity funds that are taking time to come to an end and they're not really at a at a level where the, the the executives i'm not an executive but the executives want to to break them so they're letting those run on that but that as i say is the is it the, the exception and the other the other complication, we talked about it as we were thinking about what we wanted to say in this session, was legacies to charities. And there are a couple of aspects there. One is that you can, if you give more than 10% of your estate to charity, get a, well, when the Chancellor announced it, I think it was George Osborne said, I'm cutting inheritance tax by 10%. What he meant was he was cutting it by 4% i.e. For, from 40 to 36 so, so it was a, a 10% effective but not really 10% but that's worth bearing in mind but then the, the sort of word of warning I put to you and this is not my area at all but an observation that in more complicated situations quite often it seems to me it is charity trustees who are litigating estates and clearly, that's because they have a vested interest in making sure that they maximise the funds that come in their direction. So, if there's any question of doubt, I suppose they have to take a risk-benefit approach, and and if they think it's worthwhile, go to court. You don't want to end up in the whole area of of um, disputed probate. But uh, so, giving to charity, we would encourage, but make sure your will is clear, so that you don't then leave your beneficiaries in a, in the potential of being. In the court so never seen that in practice it's only one where you you sort of read these things in the professional press from from time to time
0: and that's actually reminded me that the other thing we we discussed about uh, obviously the benefit of of leaving um part of your estate's charity is the inheritance tax saving but i know a lot of law firms do offer a free they do sort of campaigns where you could that they'll write your will for you if if you leave a certain amount in your will to a yep. specific yep. charity so where i am at the moment one law firm is, is um to, is running that campaign for our local hospital right uh, yeah. and so that's a way you can sort of tick two boxes get a free will and save a bit on your inheritance tax and, and do some good money. by passing
1: money to charity yeah so, so so
0: three exactly exactly oh well thanks mike and um, yeah thank you for joining me today it's been a very interesting thank discussion you. We work with a wide range of clients, many are UK-based and many live overseas but have interests here, whether that's property, business interests or investments. We advise individuals and families on how best to safeguard, maintain and enhance their wealth and on the most appropriate methods of passing on that wealth to the next generation. We also help people comply with the tax rules in the UK, which can be complex. If you'd like to find out more about the tax implications pre and post-death, please head over to the SAFRI's website at www.safri.com, where we have a fact sheet explaining more about the technical ins and outs. However, it is important for me to stress that if you're considering any of the topics discussed today, you must always take professional advice based on your individual circumstances. Thank you for listening.